Well, good morning, Rivertree family. I'm Jay, one of the pastors here at Rivertree. It's a joy to be with you this morning. It's a joy as we continue to look at Matthew. And what we're going to begin to see now, we have made the halfway point of Matthew and we're moving forward. And what we're going to start to see is a transition of Jesus's ministry from kind of where he's lived and where he's grown up. And it's going to start transitioning towards the cross. And so we're going to start to see 15, 16 transition his ministry to this time of he's going to make this kind of ultimate sacrifice for us. And so with that being the case, I just want to dive in and read it for us today. And then we'll kind of get going. So if you have your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 15. Starting in verse one, it says, then Jesus was approached by Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem who asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, why do you break God's commandment because of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might've received from me is a gift committed to the temple. He does not have to honor his father. In this way, you have nullified the word of God because of your tradition, hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain teaching his doctrines, human commands. Summoning the crowd, he told them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came up and told him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind gods. And if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. Then Peter said, Explain this parable to us. Do you still lack understanding, he asked? Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. These are the things that defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed your word to us, Lord, um, that we have it to look at, to learn from, and ultimately to fall more in love with you. And I pray this morning as we look at your words, Lord, that we are convicted of our sin, that we're challenged by your gospel, and we fall more in love with you. And may we live today saying what a wonderful, wonderful Savior that we serve. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So I think there's kind of one driving idea as we look at this passage. So one thing that's going to be made evidently clear to us, and that is this truth that Christ's main concern is for your heart. Above everything else that's happening, he wants that. And he wants it to be good and right. Christ's main concern is for your heart. And in this passage, he's going to basically be challenged by the Pharisees. And then we're going to see him respond to three groups of people. He's first going to respond to the Pharisees. Then he's going to respond to the crowd. And then finally, he's going to respond to his disciples. But it starts with this challenge yet again. And this is a thing we see again and again in Scripture. And there's this story I was reading about recently about a basketball player. His name was Bo Scalabrini. So Bo Scalabrini played in the NBA for about 10 years. Okay? Now he is a tall guy, but he's not the most athletic looking human being when you watch him play. Now, he played for 10 years in the NBA, right? But when he played, every once in a while, he would make a mistake. And whenever he made a mistake, the people watching at home would think, you know what? If I played Bo Scalabrini, there is no doubt I would beat him. I am so much better than him. And you've had this thought, right? You've watched a baseball game and you saw Roger Clemens pitch and the guy struck out in the game and you thought, if I'd been up there, there is no doubt I would have hit that 100 mile an hour fastball. 
100%. I don't care that this guy's been practicing his whole life to do this one moment. I could have done it. And that's what people would say about Bo Scalabrini. He is no good. If I just had the chance to play him, I would beat him. I should probably just be on the Celtics instead of him. So what did Bo Scalabrini do after he retired? Bo Scalabrini proposed a challenge to basically anyone that wanted to come play him. If you think you're good enough to beat Bo Scalabrini, just come on. Some ex-college players showed up. A lot of guys from the community that he was doing this challenge in, they just show up and they think, I'm going to beat this 10-year NBA player. And guess what happened to each and every one of them? They got destroyed. Absolutely destroyed by this unathletic-looking dude who spent 10 years in the NBA. And what we see again and again in the Gospels is the Pharisees showing up to Jesus thinking, we've got him this time. We're going to get him. And again and again, Jesus quickly and easily kind of dismisses them and sends them on their way. But this time, it wasn't just any Pharisees, right? It says they were Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem. So this is the most holy city in all of Judaism. This is where they come from. They come from Jerusalem. And so these guys have spent their whole life training, the best of the best. They come down because they've heard about this Jesus and they're going to come challenge him. The local guys just weren't good enough, but they are. So they show up and they start. Now, they don't go directly at Jesus. They kind of take this sideway approach and they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Not you, Jesus, you're perfect, but your disciples. Now, if the disciples, if he gave that, he was like, yeah, they do. Then it would have reflected poorly on Jesus, right? They're not, they, they understood that. So they challenge him. They say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? But they're not smart guys. You see, in 2 Kings about 20, chapter 22, verse eight, there's this moment where there was a king and this king finds the book of the law. And it had been lost for at least 50 years. Some people say up to 500, it had been gone. And this king finds it and they celebrate it and they get excited about it. But because they hadn't had it in a while, they'd kind of forgot what was in there and they forgot really how to interpret it. And so what they did is they got elders to talk about it for them, which is what we do, right? So we as pastors, we stand up here and we tell you, this is what the scripture means, or this is what we think it means. And so that's what they did. Started out as a good thing. They were looking at the text going, hey, this is what this actually means. And so they came up with these ceremonial laws that were to help people stay clean because scripture is really concerned with trying to make yourself clean. Like don't do anything that makes you unclean. So they say, hey, it's not in scripture, but what this really means is that you need to wash your hands. That's what it's about. And so they, instead of quoting scripture, instead of quoting the law, they quote a tradition. And now they're gonna hold that up against Jesus. And how many times have we done the same? Like we hold up our tradition instead of the law. We hold up what we think about it instead of what God thinks about it. And so Jesus is gonna respond. And this is, it's gonna be quick because that's how Jesus works. He says, why do you break God's commandment because of your tradition? So he goes immediately after this. And basically what he's saying is like, hey, before you come at the speck in your brother's eye, you might wanna remove the log from your own. For God said, honor your father and mother. And whoever speaks evil of father and mother must be put to death. And then it goes on to say, so this was a little confusing as I studied what's actually happening here. He says, but you say, 
Whoever tells his father and mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple. He does not have to honor his father and mother. So this is a practice, you see it in John 7, it's called Korban, where basically you make a dedication to the Lord and you say, I have dedicated this thing to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. And so what they would do is they would promise when they died, everything that they owned would go to the temple. So it was dedicated to the temple, to the Lord. And what that allowed them in their current life was to give to nothing. Because they would say, I can't give you anything because I've already promised everything to the temple. And so when beggars would show up and they'd say, hey, I want, I need, I'm in, I, I need help. They would say, hey, I would love to help you, but I've already given it all away. So it sounds good. It looks good. But what Jesus is saying is this is evil. Like you have used the law to your own benefit. In fact, what they've really done is they've used a tradition. Korban is not something that's in scripture is held up as the thing you're supposed to do. They made this up and they would hold it up. And Jesus is saying, you've created a tradition that allows you not to do the thing that you're supposed to do, which is to honor your father and mother. And we do this in our own life. We collect things. We get in these situations and we say, look, I would love to help you, but I'm just, I can't. I don't have the time or the money. I can't help you. I know I got some really nice things, but I, I'm sorry, I've already committed myself to them. I can't give to that. And that's what they're doing. And they're knowingly doing it. They're doing an evil thing and he calls them on it. He says, because this is the actual thing you're supposed to do. You're supposed to honor your father and mother. This is the law, not something that's been made up. It is good and right. It is the law. We don't hold up traditions and say these are more important than the law. We hold up the law and say this is the good and right thing that we must always do. And he calls them. He says, you're hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Now you're looking, well, how does this work today? How do we misinterpret scripture and use it for our own kind of devices? I was watching this documentary recently, Happy Shiny People. Have y'all seen that? So we're watching this documentary and there's this guy, his name's Bill Gothard, and he created what's called the Institute of Basic Life Principles. Now, what they built this kind of thing on was this really idea of wives submitting to their husbands. Well, this is a big part of what they're trying to do is they say, wives, you have to submit to your husbands. Now, I want, to, I want you to know, I believe in this. I do think wives are supposed to submit to their husbands in a good and godly way. But what they were doing was abusing this practice. And they were taking it and they were lording it over their family. And they say, you have to do exactly what I say because this is what it means to submit. You have to follow me. You can't do what you wanna do. You can't even have an opinion. You have to do what I wanna do. So they took something good and right, which is the law, and they turned it into something bad. And you may think, well, Jay, submitting to your husband, I, I think, I don't know about that. Wouldn't it always be abused? Well, it's because we don't fully understand what it means to submit. We don't treat it in its proper place. Because there's this relationship between Jesus and the church that says our, our marriages should be modeled like Christ in the church. And so Christ came and he fully gave himself up for the church. He died for it. And it says our relationship, our marriage is to be like Christ in the church. And it says, we love him because he first loved us. And so the husband is to first love his wife over and over and over again. 
That's his commitment. That's his call. There's this training or this picture we use when training missionaries. And so there's this man in the African bush and he's holding a spear. So he holds it up. It's all he's got, nothing but a spear, okay? And then beside him stands his wife and she's carrying tons of stuff. And then beside him will be all his kids, bunches of them, and they're all carrying stuff. And you look at this guy and you go, man, what a lazy, evil man. He's doing nothing. But you know why he's carrying just a spear? Because at any point, what he knows is from the African bush could come any sort of animal. And this man is prepared at any moment to use that spear to defend his family to the death. That's his job. And he knows that. And so the wife will gladly carry as much as she can because she knows the husband's ready to die. And that's what submission looks like. We look and go, I know it's good and right because it's what the Lord demanded of us. And so we submit in this way. We say, my husband will die for me. He's to serve me, to give himself up for me. And that's what good and right submission looks like. And you may go, well, Jay, I don't know about that, but what else, how else does this apply to us? How else do we take our own ideas and our own thoughts and compare them to scripture? And we manipulate it for our own benefit. Well, there's this idea in scripture of what we call truth and love. So things happen and we need to respond to those things. And we think, well, I want to respond in truth or do I want to respond in love? And so these guys that are going, I just want to be truthful. I just got to say the truth. And what it ends up being is harsh because all we're concerned about is the truth. It doesn't matter if it's loving or kind because I just got to get the truth out there. That's the most important thing. And on the other side, the person says, look, I know what they're doing isn't wrong, but I'm just going to love them. I'm just going to love them. And if I just love them, it'll be okay they'll come back around. But scripture says both truth and love that we exist here. So if your temptation is to be too loving and not call out the sin, or it's to be too harsh and just be a jerk, scripture's saying don't be either one of those. Be truthful and be kind, be forgiven, be loving. That's what it's calling us to. There's two other things we learn from this. One is that you are absolutely 100% supposed to honor your father and mother. This is not something that when you turn 18, you get to turn it off and go, you know what, I'm 18 now, forget about them. I get to do what I wanna do. Or you think, well, I've got kids now. My parents, they got nothing good to offer. That's not what scripture is saying. Scripture is saying you have to honor your father and mother from the day you're born to the day you die, not even when they die. It says, don't speak ill about them. And I know, and I don't wanna like, I understand that you might not have the best relationship with your parents. They might've been harsh. It might've been abusive. It might've been a lot of things, but that's still not the answer. The answer is to till, to honor them again and again and again. That's what we're called to do. And that doesn't mean you always listen to every piece of advice they give you. It doesn't mean that you let them abuse you. And if parents, if you're abusing this idea, you're saying, well, you have to honor me. You're guilty of this thing that the Pharisees are guilty of. That's not your job. So I have to lord it over them and say, I can do whatever I want. You just have to honor me but we're to be kind and loving and to not speak ill of our parents. The second thing is we have to, and we must always honor the written word over all other things. Not our interpretations of it, not our ideas. Your job, part of this congregation is to say to our pastors, like, look, I get that you're telling us what you think it means, but your job is to go and make sure that we're actually saying the right things about scripture. 
Like you are to help hold us accountable to what scripture's actually saying. And if we differ from that, you have every right in both truth and love to come to us and tell us that we messed up. But there is something to remember. There is something significant about tradition. So I had this professor, uh, it was a professor who was a trainer in the missions world. And he used to say, you know, when I'm studying scripture and I get this like idea, I see something in there and I think, you know what? I've never heard anybody tell me this idea from scripture. He's like, what I do immediately after kind of having that thought is I go to my commentaries, I go to the internet and I begin to search and think, is there anybody else that came up with this? that has understood this in 2,000 years of Christian history that has the same thought about this scripture as I do. And if nobody does, you know what he do? If nobody's ever thought it, he takes up his paper and he sticks it back in his Bible and he closes it up. Right? And then he waits three to five years. Maybe he's back in that passage. He's studying it again. And he opens that up and he sees this idea that he came up with. And he's like, oh, man, this is a great idea I had about scripture. This incredibly special revelation about the word that only I got. And in 2000 years of Christian history, nobody else has ever got, look at this, I've got it. And he looks around again. And if nobody else has had that same interpretation, what he does is he takes that sheet of paper and he wads it up and he throws it in the trash. And he never thinks about it again. Because there is something significant about Christian history, that this tradition that we're all a part of, that we say, hey, there's a lot that's happened. Doesn't mean we're beholden to it, that we always have to agree with it. You can look at what Luther did and Martin Luther who led the Reformation and go, hey, I agree with Martin Luther on this, but on this, I'm out. I don't really agree with that. But what you don't get to do is go, hey, you know what? If Paul had been writing this today, he would have said it differently. He wouldn't have. And we're held to that and we have to believe it. Even when it's offensive to us, even if we don't like it. And he goes on after he responds to them and he responds to the crowd. And he says, summoning the crowd. So it seems like they were kind of there also for this exchange. He calls them to him. He says, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. As we said earlier, they had all these ceremonial laws about how to stay clean about what that looks like and how to do it. Do this, wash your hands, eat this, don't do this, don't, all these things. And what Jesus comes in, he says, you know what? We're done with that. You see, they weren't allowed to eat catfish, fried, wonderful, beautiful catfish, but not just catfish. Wonderfully slow cooked pork shoulder was out. They didn't get to partake because those are the top foods that made them unclean. And what Jesus is coming and doing, he's saying, that's done. And the crazy thing is they're so caught up in this idea, it would be until Acts 15 before they really begin to understand this is not true anymore. Like they can actually eat whatever they wanna eat. They could have started right here. They missed 10 years of eating pork shoulder <laughs> because they didn't fully understand about what Jesus was saying. Took him a long time to get there. And he goes on, and after he responds to them, he refined, it says the Pharisees, the, sorry, the disciples come and they say to him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? I just imagine Jesus being like, duh. <laughs> you bet I, they did, because they had given their whole life to this. Everything that they were about was about this kind of tradition of the elders. And Jesus just came in and shook it all up. He said, that doesn't matter anymore. None of that. And there's this reality for the Christian that it is offensive. 
Christianity is offensive. The gospel is offensive. And so if you've been sitting here for three, four, five years, and you come week after week and you think, man, I've never been offended at River Tree. I just love it. Then we have failed you miserably because we haven't presented the word as it presents itself, which is offensive. It says in Hebrews 4, Verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is what the word of the Lord does. It comes for us. It convicts us. It challenges us. And it offends us. That's what the word of the Lord does. If you're never offended, you're missing it. Because it should be. It should be offensive to you. And then he goes on to say about them. He says, he replied, every plant that my heavenly father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guys. And if blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. This is both a warning and I think an encouragement to us. First off, the warning is stay far, far away from any false teaching. Any idea that you don't look at scripture and see it. It's not evident there. Stay away from it. If somebody comes to you preaching the prosperity gospel, stay away. It's not good and right. If they come to you with some new revelation that they've come up with, and this is how religions are started. Somebody hears a word from the Lord that nobody else has ever heard, and they say, I've got a new thing the Lord has told only me. Stay away from it. These are false teachings. Let this be a warning to you. It leads only to death. There is no other place there's only one way to the Father, and this is it, to believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else will fail. Every single bit of it, and it will lead you deep, deep into the pit, and there is no coming back. Like that little video game, Lemmings, back in the day, just one after the other. You're all falling off into the pit. But an encouragement is this. All these kind of things that keep popping up, all these ideas these humanistic ideas, these individualistic ideas, this transgenderism, the homosexuality, all these things are truths that are not founded on Scripture. And they will end. They will be defeated. And we can hold that truth and believe it because he's saying it here. These things will not save you and thus they will be uprooted. They are not the answer. There's a Shakespeare quote in one of his plays, Truth Will Out. Like eventually the truth will win. And the reality is for Christians, it has already won. The truth is won and we get to be a part of that. Then he goes on to explain to the disciples, but first Peter says, explain this parable to us. Peter is that guy like when you were in elementary school and the teacher was like, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Peter fully believed that. He was 100% committed to that idea. There is no such thing as a dumb question. And I think as I hear Peter say this, it's like that idea, we do the same thing though. We say again and again to the Lord, show me, Lord, show me. Lord, I, if I could just see you, I'd believe. If I just knew a little bit more about you, I'd believe. Lord, please show me it's going to be okay. And the Lord's saying, what are you doing? I've shown you again and again and again. And we say, Lord, but if you just show me this decision is going to be okay, I'll make it. I'll make it. And he's saying, have I not already shown you? again and again and again. But we look forward and say, Lord, show us. Show us yet again. 
And the Lord is gracious to us because he answers Peter. And he says, do you still like understanding? Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is gone? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart and this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. This creates our problem. We have a heart that tends toward evil. That's what it wants. That's what it is. And that's what it's going to do again and again and again. And you think, oh, I can be made clean. If I just go to church, I'll be clean. It'll work for me. If I just do good and right things, it'll make me clean. If I'm honest, if I'm kind to people, I'll be clean. But you see, out of your heart, it only does evil. That's what he's saying. He's saying, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. He doesn't say what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart is all these evil things and a few good things. When the world said there's some good inside you, there's not. There's only this, which creates the problem. What do we do? How do we fix it? How do we change? Because that's the question. Jesus cares only about your heart. How do we fix this problem? In Ezekiel, it says, 11, 19, and 20, I will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh so they will follow my statutes, keep my ordinances, and practice them. They will be my people and I will be their God. You see, you're the hypocrite, just like they were. You use the law to get what you want from it, to do the things that you deem important, to act like you want to act. You're the blind leading the blind. You're taking, with you, taking people with you down into the pit. That's who you are. That's what you want to be. But Jesus is saying, I have something different for you. I have a new heart. And out of this comes good things. James 1, 26 and 27 says, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, so without controlling his heart, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It is only by the grace of God that you can do this. Nothing else. Christ alone. So if you're sitting here today and you're saying, Jay, I want that. I want this new heart. I want to do good and right things. And ultimately, I want to be right before my Savior. It's by the grace of God. Put your faith in him. Repent of your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much. Lord, I thank you that we are, have been invited into your kingdom. Lord, that you have made our hearts of stone good and right. And Lord, I pray for those today that are here that don't know you, that still have this heart of stone. Lord, that they would have faith, that they would repent and believe, Father, and you would change their hearts to hearts of flesh. And for those of us whose hearts have already been changed, Lord, we just pray and ask that you continue to change them. Lord, that you continue to make them more and more like you because that's our ultimate desire, Lord, is to be like you. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.